Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 10th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way, is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he is saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. Christ. So, sheltered in place, socially distanced, a little anxious about some things, and uncertain about some things that used to seem pretty much certain. If we were, asked, if we were all together, I would ask for a show of hands as to how many of you have rediscovered that in times like these, you experience the compelling draw of comfort foods calling your name. Comfort foods, we all have them, yes. They are foods that we not only enjoy eating because we literally enjoy eating them, but also because they somehow have it in them to bring us joy emotionally. Comfort foods often have connections to childhood and to fond and even nostalgically remembered good times with people we loved and who loved and comforted us and in most cases were the ones who introduced us to the foods we now turn to for comfort. And so comfort foods aren't just meatloaf or mashed potatoes and gravy or tater tot casserole or mac and cheese or homemade bread or apple crisp. They are rather meatloaf or, or mashed potatoes and gravy or tater tot casserole or homemade bread or apple crisp like grandma used to make. Which of course is their secret. When we're anxious, or uncertain, a serving of grandma feels good. Comfort foods don't just feed us, they hug us. By way of truth and advertising, I should point out that most comfort foods I've ever heard of are pretty much high in calories, either with sugar or with fat. Although, in all fairness to grandma, they were usually natural fats and sugars, with hardly any ingredients you couldn't pronounce or grow on the farm. My grandma on my mom's side and my mom and my dad didn't just loving me uh, give me food for my stomach. I am among the richly blessed who was loved by loved ones who loved the Lord and who so too fed me the faith. They gave me food for my soul. 
I used to grow my grandma, my mom's mom's lawn, Grandma DeZale. When I was done, I would go into the house and there would be a couple of cookies and a glass of milk. Whole milk, of course, high in fat, comfort food. Before we had our milk and cookies, however, Grandma would always ask me to sing for her. Seems like the one I remember most often, she would have me sing one of her favorites, His Eye is on the Sparrow, and I Know He's Watching Me. Uh, growing up, I also uh, sang at church, it seems, relatively often, and then I got older and I played my trumpet at church, too. One time, uh, after my friends and I had played a particularly snappy trumpet trio at church, people clapped. That week after I mowed her lawn uh, and over milk and cookies, Grandma said, Roger, you are very musical. You remember that that is a gift God gave you. It is not something to be prideful about. Good job, Grandma. Grandma, uh, when she was 30, just did this math this week. Grandma, when she was 30, she married late, so my mom wasn't yet born. Grandma, when she was 30, lived through the pandemic of 1918. That's the year from which Walking through an old cemetery in North Iowa, I once found the grave markers of four children from one family, all of whom died in the same week. Grandma's faith, in other words, was not naive. It was life-tested. I say that as a way of saying this. Sometimes, maybe more than ever in times like these, what feels good, most of all, what comforts, best of all, what hugs, most uh, greatest of all is not just um, what comforts us emotionally, but what comforts us spiritually, and that is a big serving of Grandma's faith. And as it turns out, guess what? For that purpose, there are spiritual comfort foods, which at their very best aren't just good, they are nutritious. They are good for you. Which takes us to Psalm 23, which is printed in the bulletin, but which, well, forgive me if you must, I'm not going to use our printed in the bulletin version. I'm going to use Grandma's original recipe, which is Psalm 23, King James Version. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Spiritual comfort food, surely. Nutritious comfort food, absolutely. Food whose secret is not only that it hugs us with the love and the faith of many of our grandmas and grandpas and moms and dads, it also hugs us with the love and the faithfulness of God. Let's walk through it a little more slowly, taking time to do something that would surely please Grandma. 
let us take time to chew our food. The Lord is my shepherd. The psalmist, traditionally King David, who was a singer and a poet, and as a youngster, a shepherd, here identifies himself with the sheep for whom he cared, and he identifies God with the shepherd who does the caring for him. In those days of grazing on, on open lands, sheep all alone, sheep without a shepherd, were terribly vulnerable prey for predators. David, I imagine, imagines how vulnerable he would be to predators, physical and emotional and spiritual, were he all alone in the wide open wilderness of life. But he's not, he says. He's never alone, he believes, for he, like grandma, trusted the promises of the Lord to watch over, to guard, to guide, to care for him. The Lord is my shepherd, he said. And so I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures and leadeth me beside the still waters. Eugene Mes uh, Peterson's very contemporary message translation of verse 1 says, With God as my shepherd, I have everything I need. It's a very good and helpful translation because the word want in the traditional translations is used and heard differently these days than it was in the day when King James and then later Grandma used to use it. For in the way it used to be used, the psalm does not say uh, how some might hear it these days. It does not say that with the Lord as my shepherd, I will have each and every single thing I've ever wanted. It says rather, well, precisely that message translation, with God as my shepherd, I have everything I need. Indeed, listening to the shepherd, we begin to learn the difference between wants and needs, and we become better at not wanting when we already have all we need. What we truly need, of course, isn't all that much. Sheep, for example, need protection, to be sure, and food and drink, of course, and shelter, certainly. In Bethlehem's rugged countryside, David, as a shepherd, knew how much his sheep did need him to provide and lead them to those things. Writing and singing this psalm, though, I see David reflecting, some reflecting that we would all do well to do, I think. He reflects on the fact that he personally had all the food, the water, the shelter, the things that he needed for life. And then he gave thanks to God as shepherd for that. And in doing that, he reminds us that when it comes to quality and joy and what Jesus later in our gospel read called, called abundance of life, there is a way big difference between those who have everything they need and those who have everything they need and are grateful to God for that. Then as the psalm continues, we hear David reflect on the fact that some of the things we truly need in order truly and abundantly to live aren't things. And thinking of those things that aren't things, he wrote of his shepherd, he restoreth my soul. 
A very, very oh-so-fortunate few people, I think, are quick to learn. Many, many more, I think, take a while to learn. More than a few of us, I think, find out we needed to learn the hard way. But then there, too, are those who are also unfortunate others who learn too late, or even maybe never learn, that some of our greatest needs are not the needs of our bodies, but the needs of our souls. David, I imagine, sometimes watched his sheep out in the wild, not eating or drinking, but resting, and doing so absolutely without fear. And the reason was because even though they were resting out in the wild, where fearful things surely existed, they had a shepherd. And they rested in his strong and loving care for them, so too he thought he had a shepherd in whose love and presence he, in peace, could rest, as love both filled and quieted his soul. The psalm goes on, he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Grandma, what I hear this verse saying is that faith is not just a rest. It is also a walk. He leads me in the paths of righteousness, Davis says, for faith is not a static kind of condition one is in, but rather an up-and-get-going journey one is on. And that journey... David continues, is a journey of righteousness for God's name's sake. Righteousness. This is a word that has been sorely abused. And what it has been abused by is the ways it's used by too many to refer to self-righteous, good and religious-looking things, which I do to show God and to show others too. I mean, they better notice what a, what, a, what a righteously godly journey I am, and personally how I am way better than those other people, people who need to shape up and be more righteously godly by being more like, wait for it, me. It is to weep. And the one who weeps is the shepherd, who leads his sheep on paths of righteousness what are not at all about us and our greatness and glory, heaven help us, but are rather about us living to the glory of God by walking the paths on which heaven's shepherd will lead us. Those paths which each in our own unique and and specific ways turn out in fact to be our own unique and specific versions of the one and only most faithful of all paths there is, which is the path of living our love for God, our shepherd, by being God's love to all whom God loves, which of course is every single person you'll ever meet in your whole life. The path upon which the shepherd leads us, of course, is not only a righteous walk beside quiet waters and through lush pastures, it is also, the psalm next reminds us, a path which finds that there are dark valleys, too. And so, too, the psalmist goes on to sing, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod 
and thy staff, they comfort me. Grammar geeks, here we go again. Notice the grammar. Grammar, which the King James Version in this case gets exactly right. In the darkness of the valley, there's a shift from the grammatical third person, as in the Lord, he, to the grammar of the second person, as in the Lord, you. In the valley, in other words, where it is dark, the psalmist stops talking about the shepherd and starts talking to the shepherd, which, of course, is called praying. Which, of course, is a reminder that when times are tough, the best God talk there is isn't talking that is talking about God, but talk that is talk to God. Or as some of you, like David, have discovered, when life takes you through fearful things, as it will, faith does not change this. The most important thing then there is, is the presence of, and that relationship with the shepherd, who in his own, in his own shepherd way seems especially to draw near to his own when things are fearful, and, and who promises, I am not only with you, I will guard you, and I will see you through the dark. To the light. But in the meantime, the psalmist, still now in the second person, the you person, the prayer person, says now to his shepherd, Thou, thou being an old King James and grandma, another word for you, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. And there we find yet another reminder. That walking in God's presence does not erase all things evil or all suffering that we might need to face, but it does allow us to face all things, to face all things unafraid and at peace. For even in the presence of his enemies, says the psalmist, he could sit to be fed at God's table, there to be reminded that he was God's own, thus to be reminded that his cup was blessed beyond full. I picture David writing these verses as his sheep are grazing themselves full in lush pastures beside still waters, even though there surely are wolves in the weeds looking on, but powerless, for there stands the shepherd. I have thought of this verse countless times over the years when I've taken communion to someone nearing the very end of her life. And as we dine then, there in weedy shadows stands death looking on, but only able to do so powerlessly. For at that table, in the presence of that enemy, the one I, on behalf of the shepherd, serve the bread and the wine to is not just reminded of, but, but Lutherans believe is literally fed with the shepherd's love for them and even also the shepherd's promise that he literally is with them, not only all the way to the end of this life, but even and precisely unto eternal life. And as that meal is received then, with whatever is the faith that God gives then to receive it. Death is powerless, for it has lost 
its sting. And Satan then slinks away in defeat. As this moment he had placed so much hope on has instead, right there in front of his eyes, become a moment of the greatest hope there is for yet one more of the shepherd's sheep. That being the sure and certain hope that surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And God knows, and Grandma does too, when it comes to forever, as Grandma sometimes also had me sing to her, when it comes to forever, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Amen.